Matthias, let's just take a second to talk about our Patreon channel. Obviously, a lot of people love the show, and we get a lot of messages from people asking us how to uh, support us and help us grow the podcast. Now, Patreon is obviously, without doubt, the best way to do it. It really helps us grow the show, helps us pay people who help us out, helps us you know, keep shining the job, the, the editor behind the scenes. Um, why do you, want to, do you want to just let people know what they get, some of the perks? Yeah, I mean, we offer so many interesting extra things for Patreon. So we, we have a bonus episode, um, we do Q&As, and we're also looking into other ways of like getting um, our Patreon supporters special access to some of my um, very deep and fantastic knowledge and such things. Yeah, you're wanting to introduce some, uh, not one-on-one, but small small group lectures on specific subjects, which I think would be amazing. Patrons would absolutely love that. I would absolutely love that. You know, half an hour topic of you just ranting without me interrupting on a subject <laughs> has to be has to be perfect. You know, who's not going to, to love that? Yeah, yeah. Like things, you know, we talk about on the podcast, maybe like we mentioned something about Viking ships or something that has to do with the mythology and, and people want to know more about that. And then we can like dig deep into that for like 30 minutes in a, in, in a short lecture. I think a lot of people would find that very interesting. Yeah. And I mean, let's not forget anybody who signs up to the Patreon at any level is going to get a bonus episode every week. Um, it's either going to be the story time episode that we do with Jonas Lorenzen which you have to agree with is, is one of the funniest times you must have all week. It is brilliant. He does. It is amazing. Good job. <laughs> I love yeah. it. <laughs> it is. And then the other, the other episode, we're still undecided hundred percent on what it, it's going to be, but it looks like it's going to be a conversational type episode where me and Mateus just get a little bit more personal about ourselves, but also we're going to get, let people have the chance to ask questions, Q and a, whether it's about the podcast or about us. And um, you're going to be able to put your question to us through Patreon then we're going to have a, a little bonus episode where we explore those and people get a little bit more interactive with those, which I think would be fun for the, for the fans. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I, I, I feel like I'm seeing with our audience is that they really like to be interactive with us. So we're trying to offer as many opportunities on our platform to do that outside of social media otherwise because that, that can get a little little much sometimes <laughs> yeah there we go i mean honestly if you just jump over to uh patreon forward slash naughty mythology podcast you can have a look at all the different tiers we've got there they start from five dollars up to twenty dollars and you can cancel at any point you can try it out for a month listen to the old episodes listen to the old story time episodes cancel if you don't enjoy it and and there we go. But we were more than sure confident that you'll uh, you'll like what you hear. Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, corner of the Company Horns of Odin. And I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvik. Hello, everybody. This time we are joined by a very special guest. Um, you may know him as the wood chipper guy from uh, the movie <laughs> Fargo. That's one of my personal favorite movies. Um, he's also uh, made a great depiction of the devil in Constantine, a movie that also features Keanu Reeves. This is Peter Stormare. Welcome to the show, Peter. 
Thank you, Matthias. Thank you, Danny, <laughs> for inviting me. Great. Thank you for Great taking the here. time to join us. Yeah, absolutely. It's early Saturday in LA, so it's nice to be with you guys. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. I know we moved it forward. Did your is your team in the in the Super Bowl? Am I right? That? Uh, well, the, yeah, the Chargers. I mean, it's an LA team now, so you mm. have to root for them. But yes. of course, I, I'm I'm a Viking fan, of course. Of course, you have to yes. be. We we'll always yes. have. To, yeah, we we'll, we we'll always say next year. Next year, next year, next year, next year is our time. No, I mean, yeah, I want to say thank you very much for taking the time. I, I genuinely am a fan of yours. Um, John Abruzzi was the, the first introduction <laughs> to your work for me. Um, Prison oh. Break, I love that as a, as, a, as a young man. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's 12 years ago now, 11 years ago. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's still rolling, man. It's still rolling. God bless it. And residuals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely um yeah i mean we we had a little chat and i i made you made you a horn which i think got there yesterday uh, which i was really yeah. happy happy turned up i got your horn it's it's beautiful you, you an amazing piece of art i mean i collect we have a lot of reindeer horns in uh antlers in our house and uh this horn fits perfectly in in a big jar of horns it's in the middle oh wonderful. it's in the middle yeah, yeah. um jeff like i said you when i we kind of had a brief speaking on on instagram and i asked you what you'd like on it and you said you know your the, your your county's coat of arms which ties into yeah. obviously the the story behind um the secret of the viking runestone the tv show that you're doing and your quest to to kind of clear Olaf Holman's name. Yeah, I, I was up in Minnesota uh, <clears throat> a couple of years ago. During Fargo, I visited a lot of places and I saw it briefly, but this time it was much more organized 25 years later. Uh, it, the museum is pretty nice. There was so much more photos and background stories and stuff. This time it was like something pulled me in and something really slapped me around and said it was like a it was like a beautiful what should i say a revelation it was like i saw karen like alive standing and talking to me in swedish saying you are chosen to clear our name please clear our name and it sounds kind of crazy but but sometimes I have those uh, encounters and I started to look at the photos and I saw all of his photo and of him. And we look pretty much the same. <laughs> we have the same kind of long horse face and the same kind <laughs> of snout, like a big beak in the middle. And looking at him, I, I was stunned to see that he was, we were so alike like brothers but from another era and i was checking it and he was like born roughly you know 100 years before me and he immigrated like 100 years to the day when i immigrated to the us so it was all the all the circles came together and when i walked out i i just said to uh, my producer friend that i had to set out to do a story about this runestone where the hell you will have to go where it was found where he were you know the land where it was found his little house that is still standing 
and that's how it started. And then we set out. I mean, it was a journey without a destination, really. <laughs> and we got to two seasons and we did some great discover great discoveries. And we were about to start the third season when the good old COVID hit. Okay. And we've been in lock lockdown for two years. We're just mm -hmm. waiting for the day when we can get the archaeologists out there and really excavate the Runestone Hill because we did some, we had some really great findings out there. And the state archaeologists came in and saw what we found. And they think it's a settlement on that hill that dates back to the 12th century. And whether it was Norsemen or Native Americans, probably they really want to do an excavation because it's private land and it's park. It's a park. So it's nothing where they have to have a permit. It's sort of owned by the state in, in a way. So they were ready to come in with all the archaeologists to do the excavation. But now we've been on a hold for two years. Mm. And but the thing, the things are still there on the ground. Yeah. There is a, there is like an old little building. You can see of a, a, a four walls and a fire pit in the middle. And it's some of the Native Americans build those houses, but also Scandinavians. So it's kind of interesting to see if we ever get out of this. <laughs> Hopefully. And <laughs> yeah, and I just want I just want to go up there again and to do the excavation. That was the whole. The third season was planned. We we're going to do the excavation at the same time, me and Elroy and Darwin, Olaf Oman's grandson, we were going to visit his, his native, Olaf Oman's where he was born and where he grew up and uh, just follow his route to mm -hmm. over and following the biking route over Iceland, Greenland, Newfoundland and down to Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So, so that is still waiting and hopefully we can do it monday oh, you know? well, i'm sure you yeah. will i'm sure you yeah. will, you'll get there um i'm stubborn but, i'm stubborn you know biking good. blood good yeah that's good to hear i'm looking yeah. forward to the third season yeah <laughs> so i i think we should start the episode out by firstly kind of talking about what the runestone is and and who discovered it and um, before we do i want to kind of make a, an overall disclaimer i think because so many people have strong opinions on this room stone. And as a Brit, I didn't realize how many people, how this stone split people one way or the other. And it really does. It causes controversy. People get angry about it. People, people either like it or hate it. It, it really does. People, and, and I think there's two very different camps of one is saying that the stone is authentic and it was made by Vikings. Or, or the other one is that, like you're doing, is saying that you don't believe that Olaf carved it. Um, and take it and you're looking at the journey and then we're going to see where that leads to. Um, but I think some people, they kind of just go, it's a, they hear it's a hoax and then that's it. They don't think that it should go any further, which doesn't make sense to me. Of course we should look into it and then take the journey and the travel and, and see what happens along the, along the way. I want to, I want to, uh, before we hear you, Peter, uh, and your, your perspective on this, I want to also add to this that um, it, you know, 
coming from the scholarly side, of course, all scholars in this field, they're all like, oh, it's it's a hoax nowadays and nobody nobody will touch it, <laughs> more or less. Um, but I think actually that's 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 rather sad. And I think one of the really cool things is that what you're doing with the show is that you are actually uh, making new discoveries and, and you're kickstarting this and, and getting the ball rolling on on what could hopefully become a new scholarly debate about what the Kensington Moonstone actually is. As you say, Dan, there's, there's so much controversy in, involved with it uh, because we've had some, some scholars trying to prove that it was real and some scholars uh, trying to prove that it was definitely not real. And this poor farmer, Olaf Ehrmann, being, being caught in the middle of that you know, spitfire battle, um, which was crazy. I mean, it, it, what we're hearing about it is uh, about how it affected his family is just insane. And it's a tragedy. Um, but there's also something to be said for it is just interesting in and of itself. If it was if it was made by him or somebody just you know who lived there before him, it's just an interesting situation in and of itself that there's somebody who's creating a runestone there in the middle of Minnesota in the 19th century. I think that's fascinating too. Like you have to ask yourself what is going on. So that's some of the things that um, I would also like to hear what you have to say about Peter. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, the thing is, uh, a runestone is a piece of, uh, you know, hard, hard, hard rock. Uh, they have like, only in Sweden, I think we have close to 4,000 of them. Uh, you have them in Denmark, you have them in, in, on Greenland, Iceland, in Norway, is in the center of the U.S. And what's also so controversial, if you draw like that's um, of the United States, including Canada, you're gonna end up at one place that's Kensington in Minnesota. That's the center of those two axes going. So why is that exactly in the middle of the US and Canada, that, that piece of uh, rock? You can see chisel marks on the side. So it's, it, somebody's been working on it and made it absolutely flat and absolutely beautiful. Whoever did it, was a fantastic craftsman. Mm -hmm. And according to physicists and geologists, there's been a lot of tests on this stone. The first one was done in 1909. Then there's been at least six, seven tests. And all the geologists and physicists say the weathering of the, uh, of the runes dates back at least 300 years. So he found it 1888, I think, or 1886. I'm not 100% sure now, but I might mix him up with another guy. But then I go to the scholars and said, well, if it's that old, but they are, you know, some of them don't dare to come out and say, this is a, an enigma. We don't know. And most of them, also, they don't understand, like in the end of the 1800s, when Europeans came over to, to the US, they couldn't spend a piece of land, like a homestead. Olaf Oman actually inherited or bought very, very cheaply a homestead. And a homestead up in, in Minnesota had certain rules. You were given like 40 acres of land within five years, 
you have to build a little shack where you could live in. And usually they just made it out of wood and turf and clay, like the Vikings did, or mm -hmm. all the indigenous people. And then they had to five acres, they had to plow five acres. And then the state came in. And if you hadn't succeed to fill these checkers, you know, checkpoints, then you they kick you off the land. Mm. For his money to be secured, he had to follow some rules. He had to start plowing and building something. But it's hard for somebody who sits in Copenhagen or in Oslo in a nice office and they go home and drink wine, you know, and read some books during the weekends and have six to eight weeks holidays every year. It's hard for them to understand that all of Oman lived nearly two years in the cave. The cave is still mm -hmm. there. He had two kids, a wife, and they Minnesota winters can go down to Fahrenheit minus 35. I mean, it's the same, you know, minus 30 Celsius. And it's windy. It, the wind is like traumatizing. And nobody knows about his first two years. And during those first two years, when he had to get food for his family in a cave, try to get something to eat, picking berries, mushrooms, whatever, and maybe have a rifle to shoot a rabbit or a, maybe a deer if he was lucky. Uh, we don't know if he had a gun, but that, that hard existence, it's so stupid to say that this guy spent his two first years in a cave just hammering out the runestone and then he planted it in the soil to discover it like six years later and when six years later he gave it away he never made a penny i would have been very suspicious if all of oman found a runestone and said okay for one dollar a pop you can see my runestone in a little barn here that sounds like a different kind of uh, money making scheme right yeah but people came, they traveled even from Minneapolis, like we train two hours, two, two and a half hours up there to, to walk over to his little homestead, to look at the family and point fingers, to hang out and have a little picnic and look at him plowing. And that's the guy who, you know, found oh the runestone. <laughs> yeah, because there was nothing else to do. And, you know, according to all his notes and stuff he hated that journalists came like every week and mm -hmm. finally he said no one can enter my property <laughs> he became angry because he they wrote about him like in a very very bad way and they had two suicides one directly linked to to the runestone mm -hmm. of amanda and his life after finding this stone became a hard, hard, hard life. Mm. And uh, and who carved the stone? I have no idea. Mateus, can you give us a quick kind of rundown of what the rune, what the rune stone is, um, mm -hmm. especially from like your scholarly side of things as well. Well, yeah. So it's a it's a runestone um, that, as as you said, Peter, uh, was found in the the eighteen eighties by Olaf Ehrman. Um, 
uh, or 90s, I think it actually was. And it's it, there's some interesting things to say about the, the, the rune text. So there are runes on there that we don't see used anywhere uh, else in the you know vast material we have of runes. Um, and the text mentions, uh, um, let's see if I can find the English translation or what, maybe I should just translate. Uh, eight Goths and 22 Northmen uh, on a journey of discovery from Vinland um in uh, towards the west we uh, made a camp with uh, by two uh um what do you call that um like scaries scaries scary yeah scaries yeah scary yeah, scary. yeah. Uh, one day's rise uh, one day's <laughs> trip north uh, from this stone and we were out fishing one day after uh, we came home and found 10 men uh, red of blood and dead and then ave maria uh, save us from 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 uh, evil uh, and then it says 10 men uh, have been uh, placed here by the sea um and yeah uh, uh, after from our ships or after our ships we have left our ships for the 14 days uh, journey or something like that um and then then you have the, the year 1362 on it as well. You just read the rune stones. Yeah. You just, have you read the runes? Yeah. It, it, oh, stop showing off. Stop <laughs> showing <laughs> off. So, I mean, so, so, so this, is, this is really interesting because, uh, so, you know, I had the linguistic background and what we see is this uh, argument that um, this uh, rune stone uh, uh, doesn't show the typical uh, plurals that you would have in uh, the Swedish language in the in the 1300s. And then there's, uh, the other side argues, well, you can actually see examples of the shortened uh, plurals uh, and, and also uh, past tenses in the language uh, already appearing in the, in the 1300s. Now, one of the interesting things is that you know, uh, some of this uh, definitely does, uh, like some of the, the the forms of some of the words definitely does look medieval. Um, another thing is uh, <laughs> you have to ask yourself. So I really like this argument, uh, um, uh, Peter, that you brought forth that, well, this guy didn't have time to just sit there and carve a runestone. He was very busy plowing his farmland and, you know, showing the government that he was, uh, um, getting uh, uh, all of the work done and all that stuff. There's also another thing is like, well, how would this guy have become educated in, um, uh, you know, if nothing else, medieval adjacent Swedish and rooms uh, in those few years that he uh, attended school back in, in Helsingland? I think that's also an incredibly important thing to consider. Like, how how would he get to that point of knowing that, well, that type he of language? Spent, yeah, he spent three uh, months in school mm. because because his father, yeah, his father was a carpenter and needed his help. So yeah. you didn't have to go to school up where I come from around that time for any length. The parents could pull you out. Yeah, and and also their rooms, the two rooms, you know, the which have 
been found in Europe, like the, the hooked eggs have been found in Spain and in, uh, and in Portugal. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it's on this runestone. But one of the most fascinating, I asked scholars from Scandinavia, there is something called a dotted R. It's an R with a dot in, which means a different sound of the R. They started to become a little bit more efficient. So if they wanted something, they did two dots or one dot, you know, to, to, get, to do it faster, I think, because it took some time to, <laughs> to carve a runestone. But mm-hmm. actually, how could this guy then, from Forza, Sweden, Helsingland, in the end of the 19th century, how could he know about two runes which they found for the first time outside Lund in Sweden in 1934? The dotted R was accepted. And also on Gotland, there's a lot of dotted R's in the churches. And the hooked X was found like in the 50s, 60s, I think, you know, and so this guy, he knew about runes that no one in linguistic, you know, rune expert in, in Scandinavia knew about until the mid 1930s. He knew about this <laughs> 1880. So he must have been <laughs> very psychic and he must have had a lot of time to put all this down. It is a great, it is a really great, interesting mystery. And I, and is it possible? I don't know. Is it plausible yes and i say to people we have accepted we teach people in sweden in school i don't know but when i was young where i grew up because we were proud of our vikings but they set out from the coastline in sweden they sailed over to the baltic sea and then on rivers small rivers big rivers lakes no lakes no rivers they dragged their boats and they had camps set up. You know, they made it efficient. They came all the way down to the Middle East, to Turkey and even further down. We accepted that journey. That is an accepted fact because we have artifacts in the trade. You know, the trade routes are still there. The Ruski, we say Ruski, that was a nickname for fur from the Vikings. That's why they're called Ruskis. And we have accepted that crazy crazy trip to go down to constantinople to to go to the market and get some goodies and go go back home again it is yeah i think you're right it is absolutely insane we have journey yeah. to- we have uh, we, we have uh, you know to, to to cut it down to the poem we have evidence that uh, that vikings have traded um items that came from northern india like the helge butta from from sweden for instance it, it shows up in in sweden it was produced in northern india we don't know how far it traveled with a viking and how far it traveled with someone else but we definitely know i mean we know from uh, arabian uh, sources that they uh, attacked um, um in in the caspian sea um we have you know, good evidence that they traveled some something like three thousand kilometers into you know the Siberian area. So, mm-hmm. yeah, on that on that basis alone, you can't say that oh they didn't they didn't necessarily you know make it to to the middle of of, of America. That that doesn't 
that's not a good argument to 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 uh, to present really um before we get before we get on to kind of like where they could have got i want to try and keep some some structure to it to go back to to like those those two runes in particular Mateus. Mm-hmm. i mean i guess even if olaf didn't carve it whoever predated him must have known of those two runes and i know yeah, so let's just consider that well so what is the situation um there's there's been an argument that oh the dot in that r um or there's several R's on on the Kensington runestone, if I remember correctly, at least yeah, two. Yeah. The dots in them, they are like natural made. That seems kind of unlikely that 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 you would just happen to find two dots in in, in, in the same place, right? In the same letter. So it seems more likely that the dots are intentional, um, and I believe that is also what your uh, geologist um, in the show says. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so, okay. So could it be a coincidence that like, let's 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 start with the the theory that oh this is a hoax, right? So could it be a coincidence that the person who's carving this to to create a hoax um, uh, uh, puts this dot in the uh, R, um, you know, just for fun or whatever? Uh, yeah, that's that's likely. Could it also be? You know, belong to a rune carving tradition of existing runic letters. That is also likely because we ha- we see those uh, runic letters in in use in what is now southern Sweden and on Gotland. Just so, just to jump in quickly, just on what you're saying, I I know you said maybe it could just be put in just because it's, because it's a hoax. He's just put it in there. But mm-hmm. I've just seen you read the runestone, just just looking at the runes, and you read it. So it, it's obviously written so well that you can read it and understand it. So it doesn't make sense to me anyway that somebody would just stick these two dots in there uh, just because when they've taken so much and clearly have the knowledge, regardless of whether you think, whatever you believe about the runestone, it is a runestone and it is, it is well done by somebody who clearly understands what they're doing. So why would you just add a couple of dots for, <laughs> for no reason for when, you, yeah, when, you, when you've gone through all the care to make sure... It's... No, that, that's 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 part of the mystery, right? What is also part of the mystery is that, um, you know, okay, so this is a late runestone. It's a late runic inscription. Um, it uh, it doesn't uh, meticulously follow the, uh, uh, the the typology that we know from runestones from from the earlier parts of the medieval period. So now I'm I'm basically laboring with the theory that oh, this might be be part of the runic carving tradition from Scandinavia. Um, then we, what we can see, I think, is, is also an influence, uh, if I may be so bold, to assume that, oh, let's say that these were, you know, this was actually carved in the 1300s. There might be an influence from uh, Latin letters on it as well, um, that you otherwise don't see uh, with earlier uh, uh, runic inscriptions, but you do actually see it later on. You do see it when runic ins- uh, when runes start entering manuscripts, uh, medieval manuscripts in in the 1300s. Uh, for instance, we have the Codex uh, Runicus from um, from well, it's in Denmark now, um, but it would be the Scanian law, so from southern Sweden now, because the area has changed hands over time. Um, you, you do see some influence in different ways. 
So there's a possibility that uh, that this uh, that these letters in this rune carving that that don't follow the typology that we know um, um, otherwise are influenced by knowledge of Latin and, and Greek letters, and it's it's not impossible. So so that's another thing to consider too. That um, you know, if you look at the way that it's organized and the way uh the way that uh, this person has has uh, you know chosen to uh, to carve the runes and everything it looks like somebody who is some somewhat skilled in mm -hmm. reading books so again we're dealing with a guy who's who's said to have uh, carved this runestone as a hope who had three three months of schooling how much did he know books like how much did he know how to organize letters uh, appropriately along those lines from left to right? I mean, we we can't know. Obviously, he had he's probably had some knowledge of that, but but then again, uh, so there's there's a lot of questions here, a lot of questions, and I'm personally that's what makes the, it so fun, I think. Right, and I'm personally of the opinion it couldn't have been Olaf Erman who did it, but no, um, abs absolutely but, not. I mean, it's it's uh, and. I mean, we even have done tests on the back of the stone. There is something called, you can see some people have said, oh, that's marbling of the stone. And I've said, no, it's got to be something else. So we, we got it to Scott Walder again and said, that's the root. You can see it's the root that held the stone. So it was determined by geologists, very knowledgeable geologists. It is root leach. When the roots starts growing, they, they produce an acid. And the acid is to go through the soil and to, to create some bark on the, on, the, on the outside to get skin. So there's been two roots around this runestone. According to him, he found it under a, a poplar tree and, uh, and it was entangled in roots. And they had many drawings from his neighbors, himself, and from his sons. And they do, did drawings because they gave it away to the National, you know, the Heritage Museum in Minnesota. And we did, like two years ago, we did test again on this thing. And it is actually root leach. It comes from a tree, roots from a tree. And according to a geologist, the root, it, the stone must have been in contact with this root for at least 20 to 30 years. And that was before he even got to the US. The stone mm -hmm. was under a tree. So they're also the linguistic scholars have to just you know their eyes rolls a little bit and they try to mm. say well he must have planted it under an old tree but it, it doesn't correlate with physicists and geologists and mm. they they acknowledge and they respect the results we have gotten and they you know they are also a little bit confused but they are so determined the language is too modern to be the 14th century and then I asked them, did you, do you know actually what language they had in Gothland or in Southern Sweden in the 14th century? Do you know how they spoke? I mean, every region in Sweden was separated from other regions. It wasn't like 
50 years ago when we traveled back and forth. It was different regions and they had their own language and dialects. I mean, mm-hmm. even Denmark, we, you still speak Danish and we speak Swedish. We're the same fucking people. Excuse my Norwegian. <laughs> you, can, the same... you, you can swear in here. Yeah, yeah, but, but we, still, we still have that accent, you know, that separates us. And entire mm-hmm. Sweden and Denmark and Norway were just different, different accents. It was hard to understand each other. Mm-hmm. Peter, I'm and, so glad you brought that brought that up because that's one thing I wanted to ask Matthias as well was the these different runes, could it be regional dialect? Because I know, particularly me being from Yorkshire, um, we have like South Yorkshire. They have a, v- a version very similar to, to my accent, but it's only 20 miles away. But their accent, there's some letters that are completely different and they would sound completely different to how I would say them. And obviously if the runes were based on the sounds, is it possible that, that these these differences we're seeing is, yeah, are based on dialect? Um, it is possible. As 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 you're also mentioning in the uh, in the uh, um, the show that that we do see these shortened forms of verbs, um, you know, starting to appear in this time period. Now, okay, so so a question is like, what is uh, uh, Gotland in? Uh, oh, not Gotland. Uh, the the um, Yerta, the Gots, yeah, the Gotland, yeah, yeah, the Jutland, um, which is central southern sweden um in this time period uh, this is just this is just north of the danish border in in the 1300s you have blekinge uh, skåne and halland that um are part of the danish kingdom and then you have the um the gotland uh, the 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 Jutland areas uh, up north of that and um could there could there be a lot of, you know, influence uh, from from the Danish dialects onto that area? Yes, that's a possibility. What yeah. is also uh, interesting to note, um, if we go by the, the notion that this could have been made in the 14th century, uh, in that year, uh, 1362, um, in February the f- on February 15th, uh, Håkon the sixth of Norway. Uh, proclaims himself king of Sweden, and then there's a little bit of scuffle between him and uh, his uh, father Magnus um, the fourth, and they end up co-ruling Sweden. Uh, so, so, so Sweden and Norway are in principle uh, conjoined um, at this time, and that also makes it then likely that we could see uh, people who. Uh, specifically mark their ethnic identity as Jöter and Norman um, on a journey together. That's a that's an interesting little factoid, I think, to 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 take into consideration. So so let's put ourselves in that situation. So what do we have? We have we have a a Norwegian uh, uh, grand kingdom in this time. Nor- Norway is sort of like a a, a, the superpower um, in this time period in the 1300s, 12 and 1300s in, in Scandinavia. Um, do they have interests in Norway to send expeditions to America, uh, to Vinland, 
I would think so, because uh, what is what is the situation? We have Norway takes over Iceland and Greenland in, in 1262, and then you have a decline in trade and in uh, in population in Greenland, and that's because uh, primarily because the walrus trade is declining too. There, there aren't that many walruses that they can uh, hunt in Greenland any longer. So people slowly start to fizzle out. Could there be attempts from the monarchy in Norway to, to then try to find uh, places um, with opportunities farther west? That is a possibility. We do know that they were going uh, west from the thousands and onwards. We, of course, have the Lonzo Meadows site, which is a verifiable Viking site. And there must have been expeditions west from there. Um, we do see uh, objects being traded across uh, the North Atlantic um, after that time period, too. Um, did the Greenlanders go to, um, to, to, to mainland North America to find wood? That's probably very likely because there wasn't a lot in Greenland. And at least according to legend, the Icelanders had uh, chopped down all of theirs. Uh, so you either had to go to Norway to get it or you had to go to, uh, to, to Canada, basically. So, so is, there, is there a likelihood that there would be an, an, a like distinct interest in sending expeditions over there? Absolutely. That's another thing to take into consideration. Yeah, I have to say the on Newfoundland, uh, they're called Lonesome Meadows. Uh, Helga and Yngve Ingstad, the Norwegian couple, they spent like 20 years studying the, the Icelandic sagas and they found this place because it's in the sagas where they sailed. And, but they were ridiculed. I mean, I, I, and they, she was professional archaeologist. And they found the place and showed everybody. And they said, this is a hoax. You have planted stuff here. You planted it. But today, all the scholars in academia have accepted it. It is a Viking settlement. Mm-hmm. And it existed for like 300, close to 300 years, they say. They have found even cannabis now there. You know, they still dig in. They still dig in. But what they've found recently is this was more like a wharf, like where they fixed the ships and they took care of ships. And it was not a big settlement for trade, but it, they took care. It was mainly maintained the ships in, in good, good shape and form. And what did they do with the ships then? Did it just send them off? No. It's also... Uh, because she didn't want to be in the program, but I don't want to mention a name, but she got fired. She did a great documentary for BBC. You can see it there, Dan. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what the BBC thing is called, but she went up to Baffin Island and she excavated a place where she had found. And it's a one hour documentary at BBC. It was on Netflix for a while on Amazon. But she got fired and she's still without a job in Canada. She tried to get reinstalled as an archaeologist. Up there on Baffin Island, she had found Viking artifacts together with two different Native American tribes. 
Mm-hmm. And and she did this with BBC. She came back to Toronto and she got a letter. You're fired. This is, you know, you shouldn't have done this on your own accord. And she wanted to be with us in 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 uh, in season two, but she said she couldn't because the controversy controversy and and she wanted to get reinstated, so she had to lay low low for a while. But it's that's so it, it's so crazy that that people. Because you have to rewrite the history. The, the, the history of Europe is going to be rewritten within 10 years, too, because of DNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and, true. And, and the history of... I mean, if you talk to <laughs> people who can sail, I'm not a good sailor. But Matthias I had says... a Norwegian... <laughs> yeah, but well. I had a... Matthias, <laughs> I had a... You know, some Norwegian people who are sailors, you know, from from really from from sailor families, been mm-hmm. on ships since, you know, Norway is so much, you know, ship making families. But one guy said to me, how long do you think it takes to uh, to to sail? If I set out with sort of a biking boat today, the similar thing, how long will it take me to go to Iceland? And I said, I don't know, a couple of weeks. No, five days. Mm. From Iceland to Greenland, the west side of Greenland, five days. From west side of Greenland to Newfoundland, four days. That's a fast trip compared to go through entire Russia, you know, and come down to uh, to Turkey, you know, or to, to big trading place. To go over like in, in, in less than two weeks, you could go over to, to Vinland. Mm-hmm. And why stop there when you have the big lakes, you have the Hudson Bay, and of course they continue to sail in. And you have Native American tribes that have up in Northern US and Canada that have huts exactly like Viking, blue blue eyes, blonde hair. And you know, when the French came over, you know, to trade, our Native American people we talked to that doesn't want to be on camera, but they said, the French are nice to our ancestors because they came to trade furs and they went back. They never wanted to take our country. But what they did, they always left teenagers with the Native Americans, female and male. They left them there to mingle with the Native Americans and learn the language so they could be the interpreters when they came back. So they stayed on. So now with DNA, they find shit well holy crap we have french dna Mm. in native americans up here and we have on iceland you have 80 families now been traced to have native american blood Mm. how is it possible i mean that's and and that's uh the 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 native american genetics introduced into iceland i believe has been determined to be from the medieval period um, yeah, yeah. Not not as far back as the Viking Age, if I uh, if I remember correctly. No, no. So that, of course, is evidence of some uh, some connection to to North America at that time. Um, Greenland, um, uh, which is uh, 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 part of my home country, this, uh, I lived there as a kid, um, is an interesting story too when it comes to. The connections between the Scandinavians and uh, Inuit, um, um, we find them in Greenland, um, basically Inuit coming into the north 
and and Scandinavians coming in um, uh, to the south at pretty much the same, roughly the same time, um, because the the country had been depopulated uh, before. Uh, there was a there was a Dorset culture that existed there a couple hundred years before that, but they had died out. And then um, at some point they start interacting, and um, at least by the 1200s they are they are found in the same locations. Now there's uh, there's one Norwegian historian who has made a big deal about how uh, he thinks that the Inuits uh, basically eradicated. Uh, the, the the remaining Scandinavian population, um, but I think that's a that's a lot of hogwash, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that I th I think also the small ice age they call it that it, you know it got horribly cold, and I mean they left. I mean they have churches and buildings still there, mm -hmm. so it was close to four thousand people, according to my 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 knowledge and where I got my information I, you might have another number but the, that 4,000 people they haven't found skeletons and remain remains of 4,000 people they must have gone somewhere did they go further west or did they go back to Iceland no there's not a sign of them going back to Iceland they might have perished in the boats setting out for uh, utopia somewhere but I really believe they sailed over to Newfoundland. At least there, there was a little, little nicer and then just moved further along the coast. That's not impossible and, at all. Um, no. There are, there are some, there are some uh, indications that some of them, uh, this is what we have from Inuit folktales, uh, some of them joined Inuits and and became yeah. became part of their people um but i think it's also very likely that that some could have gone uh, further west and perhaps tried uh, their luck over there <laughs> in whatever there's form a, that <laughs> there's a swedish really great historian about you know saying that the big highways you know before our airplanes were the oceans. People mm -hmm. have been sailing for thousands, thousands, thousands of years. And it's really, really plausible that the Vikings went into the center of America, sailed down the coast. Why not? And he have found, together with Mexican researchers, there's a, there are carvings of Viking boats down in Mexico at a, at a place where he had been. And uh, he was in our program and he told us all about it. And he was so excited and they still checking out these things and they look exactly like our Viking boats, you know, and all the way down in Mexico, there's some carvings of these boats and some strange guys coming on, on shore. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I remember reading a, an article about this. Um, yeah, so, so and there are also several sagas. Uh, now, the problem with the saga literature is that it, you know, mixes fantasy with uh, with reality uh, on a very high yeah. level, so to speak. But there are several sagas where, uh, you know, you find somebody who's like, uh, who goes west and goes to some land that they're not entirely sure what is. And then they find uh, uh, some Icelanders. It, it, it usually it's usually some Icelanders. They call them Icelanders, um, people who know their language. Mm -hmm. um, so that's you know this. It, uh, of course, we shouldn't take that you know literary account as just fact. Uh, 
but it could be sort of that type of like memory of um, there being people over there in Vinland uh, whom we can go to and 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 interact with uh, because they know who we are and uh, and and we have good relations with them. So so yeah, the whole traveling thing is is I think is is very is well solved. Like there's no uh, there's no reason to 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 be skeptical about that and in terms of a possibility. I would say, is it quite common that you would get maybe one ship would just go and explore? I don't know, or would they try and stay quite safe? Because I mean, humans are humans, and we like to kind of explore and see see what's out there. I know if if it was me, I'd be like, well, I just want to go a little bit further and see what's over there, and then oh, well, now I'm here. Well, let's go see what's over there. Is that something that? that I mean, in the Vinland saga, do? what you actually see in the Vinland saga is that they split up. And there's a group of them um, it's, that, by the way, because the Vinland saga is a, is a very Christian saga. It's, so it's the pagans that, that are like, yeah, we're going to go check out what's over here <laughs> and split up. So that, that actually happens in the Vinland saga. Maybe that, you know, is sort of the memory of, of, of an incident where some, where a group said, uh, hey, let's go, let's go explore further where, you know, another group was more conservative and actually wanted to go back. Um, the story about it that you see in the Vinland saga is, is very much like a, a disaster story where they uh, they don't um, they, 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 they don't have, uh, you know, a successful stay in Vinland and then they end up abandoning it. Now, what we can see, of course, based on the archaeological material is that that's not what happened. Um, they stayed <laughs> stay for a while. There was a interactions for several hundred years, so uh, I mean, so this is a. But we also, uh, Peter, you've been uh, you've been highlighting this that, that that there's a lot of controversy and like uh, people uh, um, lose their jobs or risk losing their jobs and are you know worried about saying anything in public about this, and all of that stuff has to do with a lot of American politics too, and this whole politics of of more recent immigrants to the US, right? Which I think is actually the, the, the bigger scary thing about all of this is like, oh, this, this idea that Scandinavians could have shown up in North America before, you know, other Europeans like the English or the Dutch or something like that. We don't like that. <laughs> let's, let's try to suppress that. <laughs> People have this weird attachment to, to history and they get very personal about it and they, they refuse to any idea that it maybe it might change, new evidence might come along, and new discoveries come along, and it changes. And but people get so attached to it that they they don't let that happen, get so defensive over it, even in you know in the light of new information. And it's, it is disappointing, and um, particularly like in America, obviously we know Lonzo Meadow, like the Vikings were there, but it still doesn't seem to be that well known amongst people outside of this community. And that's that's one thing I wanted to actually say to Peter was that. At some point, I think the show kind of whether the the, the Kensington runestone is is real or hoax becomes irrelevant at one point because I think that the what you're doing is you're bringing a light and a conversation to the wider public about how far these people may have gone in in the North America and how far they could have traveled and and bringing a light to things like the the main coin that I I'd never heard of that um, and these other little things and and it just it gets the conversation going. 
and when the conversation is going, then you get other people involved and are involved and, and people like Matthias start talking about it. And hopefully then it triggers people to at least start having this conversation about what could have happened. And then people start looking for things and, and it becomes a, a bigger thing. It gets the ball rolling. And I think that's the, one of the most important things about the show that you're doing. Yeah. But, but I, uh, at one point there's <clears throat> some scholars in Scandinavia, not here, even if the show has been very successful in the US too, on a discovery. Uh, some scholars have accused me for leading like uh, being a crusader for white supremacy. And I say, where the hell do you get white supremacy? Because you say the Vikings were there first. Mm, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just saying that it's very highly likely and plausible that they sail inland with the big lakes like we, they do today with cargo ships. And they continue sailing and sailing. It has nothing. I mean, talk about supremacy when the Spaniards came and killed 11 million Native Americans. Mm. overall together with english <laughs> i'm mm. sorry but it's all right we we spoke about it, that many a time <laughs> yeah yeah but but it you know it, it has nothing to do with white supremacy here no. because they didn't steal the land or occupy it they mm. were traitors some of them stayed of course at that time there was no return tickets everybody had that the life expectancy was like 37 to 45 mm -hmm. and you sailed out you didn't know if you were coming back. It was in their genes that they said goodbye. I mm -hmm. might not come back. And some of them found like a beautiful woman, you know, Inuit woman or, or a Native American woman. Some of them fell in love. And that happened there too. And all this history is going to be rewritten. We, the Swedes weren't just there from the beginning. They come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and in the U.S. with all the DNA, I look at England. What is it? One of four, like 25% have Viking DNA. Mm -hmm. In Scotland, even more. In Ireland. Mm -hmm. In Scotland, some, some areas of northern Sweden, like hidden, it's dying out now. But they have a lot in common with Scotland. They have similar language and similar words and traditions. Why? Maybe they went back and forth even before the airplanes. Mm -hmm. so, so what what your point is here is, is essentially that we as human beings across the planet, we share more things than than we, you know, uh, uh, than, than, uh, than we have differences, so to speak. Like we have more in common in, yeah. in many ways. Yeah. And it, so this is and so the way that I see that the the, the project that that you've embarked on with this uh documentary is is that you are exploring as a, a you know recent immigrant to the to the to north america um you're exploring the history of scandinavians in in north america and what you're running into in that regard is this old political baggage that comes from the late 19th century early 20th century where you had uh, and you're addressing this in the show as well. You have this uh, anthropologist on who who you know talks about uh, how some of this stuff 
has been appropriated in attempts to, you know, uh, further like a, a white uh, manifest destiny in, in North America, which is that, a real that, problem. That's one uh, thing I didn't even think about when I was watching the show and you, and you bring it up on there, Peter, is that some white supremacists will you if if the runestone was proved to be real, they would then use that as, as this flagship of like, yeah, we were here first. And it's just stop fucking ruining things. Just, <laughs> yes. just fuck off with that. Like, just stop. <laughs> and like, it's, it's so frustrating because we've spoken about it so many times on this podcast over and over about this, yeah, how, yeah. how it's, how this culture has become entangled with racists and it's so hard to, to, to kind of separate. And we, you know, we try and do it all the time. And this, it was one of the reasons why we even created the podcast was to try and separate what's fact from fiction to get rid of that, that racist side of it. And it's disappointing yeah. to hear that people have even said that to you just for even doing the show mm -hmm. because it's just it's just such bullshit. You can there's nothing wrong with looking into things, um, just because some people might appropriate it that way. Well, then tell them to piss off. It doesn't mean that we can't look at it and 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 have fun talking about what it might be and the fun of it if it's a hoax, if it's not a hoax, who made it, who didn't make it. It's just it's interesting. An interesting thing, yeah. man. It's yeah, it absolutely. Is. And and if you go to South America, how come in Peru, in Chile, there's so much Chinese DNA and Japanese DNA down there? Because they've sailed over. Some of them never returned. So you never had a return ticket in the good old days. Mm -hmm. 10 ships sails out from, from, from Bergen or somewhere in the Oslo area. Maybe six made it, really. Some drifted off. Something happened, a skirmish, or people start fighting. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was a different mindset. You sailed out, and you knew if you came back with some artifacts of value, you would be stepping up in the in the ladder you would be you know get a house and you didn't have to do anything more in life but you also knew i might never come back but mm -hmm. maybe you didn't want maybe you didn't want to go back i think we all look at life through modern eyes but if i if i sailed west or east and and i'd made a little settlement and i and i spent the time to kind of make a hub there to do trade and originally, maybe I was there to get trade and go back home. But if I'd put time into building this little settlement, I, part of me would think, well, I don't want to leave this. Like, I've, no, I've built uh, this. I've, I've made the time into this. And, and, I've, let, and I let, me of, just, let me just throw in a little cheesy detail here. So, you know, in the old Nordic language that these guys would have been speaking in the 1300s and in the Viking Age, for that matter, um, of course, it had changed by the 1300s, but not that much necessarily. You know, the same, the, 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 the word for home, it's the same as the word for the world, Hamer. So uh, that's just a yeah. cheesy little yeah. detail. It looks like those Scandinavians, they, they didn't necessarily have an attachment to this, this particular plot of land over here. They could feel just as, <laughs> as much as home in another yeah. plot of land. I mean, I guess yeah. it's, wherever, it's wherever you're comfortable and wherever you're successful. Like if you have a shitty time back in Scandinavia and you sail mm -hmm. you know, west and, get, and used to have a nice life there, What's the point going back if you're enjoying it there? Um, and that is, you know, yeah. historically the 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 experience of about two million Swedes, as far as I remember, in from from 1840 and into the early 20th century, right? That's about I think it's about two million 
who who leaves Sweden um, because <laughs> yeah. you know places like Helsingland are not fun yeah. places to try to farm. So you get no. to a place like Minnesota and you're like, okay, well, this this works out for me, even though that is also a hard place to farm, but it's definitely not as hard as Scandinavia. Yeah. But it, but it's funny in my, you know, why did Norwegians go and Swedes? Why did they pick Minnesota? And I say, some of these guys returned home and the things trickle down, you know, there's a, there's a beautiful, beautiful, fertile land where everything is blooming and you have apples, you have grapes, you have everything during summer. It's, this was told to young generations. They told them. So why, like, let's say someone was there in the 11th, 12th, 13th century, 14th century. They went all the way in from Vinland into the Great Lakes and saw the beautiful country is coastline too, Martha's Vineyard. They came back, some of them, and told why didn't all the Scandinavians go to fucking Florida? Why, <laughs> you know, or to California? Why the hell did everybody go to Minnesota? It's just Swedes and Norwegians up there, Swedish Norwegian flags, and they're still fighting. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, but here's the funny thing do you know where you find most of the danes that's in iowa and like illinois iowa and to nebraska and those those areas look very much like denmark too actually and it's <laughs> south it is south of they have to be south of the of the swedes and norwegians yes of course <laughs> <laughs> a little bit better weather a little yeah. bit more european no but it's strange why didn't they go to florida yeah I mean, we, we do have, and I, I think one of the things you can also see, where do you find the fins in, in uh, Scandinavia? It's usually uh, uh, along the Canadian border and in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's lo logging uh, forests. There's, yeah, there's so yeah. much. Uh, so it's, you, you of course, you, I think, you know, you look for places too that, that remind you of home that you, um, you know, if you're a farmer, for instance, I, it would make sense to me that you would you would choose a place where you knew how to deal with the land. Yeah, but but someone must have said it from the beginning because they didn't just walk and stop there. Someone must have told them, you know, in this this is the area and where did that come from? So I think it trickled down, and uh, that's my theory. And I have no historic background to <laughs> to prove it. But but then there also there's a lot of Scandinavians in Washington state. And I just think they are my heroes because they looked at Minnesota and said, no, fuck this. It's not the land. We you know, continue walking. Hey, Olga, Olga, continue walking. We, we got to, you know, now over here. No, no. Wyoming. No, no, no. They came to Washington. They came to the Pacific Sea and this is the Pacific Ocean. And they said, oops, no more land. Let's settle down here. So there's a big, big, you know, uh, population of Scandinavians up in Washington state, which is also crazy. <laughs> That's true. And, and, you know, if you think about it, too, like the Swedish colony in Delaware um, was unsuccessful for for one particular reason, 
and that was they couldn't figure out how to farm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. They had to import, right? Uh, to yeah, to yeah. to actually have food. So that tells you a little bit about um, uh, about how people function with these things too. You know, um, speaking towards this uh, the subject of like, oh, we we settle here where we know the type of you know land and climate and and so on. That's how people people generally seem to work. Um, I mean, so down here in Colorado, you actually have a decent amount of uh, uh, Scandinavians uh, that originally settled here. I think it was about 2000 in in the 1800s. And I'm pretty sure a lot of them are up here in the mountains where I live too. Um, yeah. I mean, when I, when, I, when I came to Denver originally, I was looking at the mountains and I was like, I need to go there and live. And <laughs> <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> And one question I wanted to ask, I guess, for both of you is, do you think that if, if the RuneScore was discovered today, it would be, it would be treated differently? It would, be, it would be looked at differently compared to what it was discovered back then? Knowing kind of about Lonzo Meadows, knowing that the, the kind of like Viking settlers at least came to that point, do you think maybe it would be looked at more seriously or do you think it would be the case with the same absolute scrutiny? Um, well, yeah, what do you think? I, my guy is, is better than me, but I think, yes, it would be an undeniable fact. The guy who found it would have used his iPhone and filmed it yes. with everything, you know, and maybe taking it out, maybe not taking it out, call the state archaeologist or whatever, because all of Oman thought it was a Native American, like a calendar or something. He didn't even see the runes for a long time until mm -hmm. he cleared it from all the clay. And I think he would send it in and the state archaeologists would come and think it's a Native American artifact and you can't do anything. It's like in England when they found this skeleton now, when they're building in a highway or something, they found this Roman executed villains or whatever, where they placed the skull between the feet. So they do the same up in Minnesota. If, they, if you're going to build anything, a private house or whatever, the archaeologist has to come and check out the land if there's anything native or anything, you know, it, you can't build there. So I think it would be scrutinized in a much more positive way if it was found today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, th I think so too. In many ways, it would be scrutinized uh, uh, more. I think the same controversies could though arise too. I think you would, yeah. you like just just consider that a couple of months ago, I think it was right. It came out that the uh, Lonzo Meadows site had now been securely dated to uh, ten twenty two uh, because they they could calibrate piece of wood uh in accord uh, like the, the time uh, the date of that piece of wood in, in accordance with a solar flare so so they could safely date it to that particular year um and that caused a uproar <laughs> among some uh, italian americans because again it, it then contests the whole columbus narrative um which you know some people just don't like to hear uh in in this country so, so that you you do still see it, you see it cropping up again and again. Uh, this weird political um, perspective on on these things. The fact of the matter is, 
that um, everybody who lives in the, in the U.S. today is, you know, walks on 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 the uh, the ground that that was already populated before any of us showed up. And uh, so, you know, in that sense, to argue over which European showed up first is is perhaps a little superfluous and and pointless, right? Maybe we should consider uh, all of these other things that are involved here. Um, yeah, because I I don't understand how this country celebrates Columbus Day, and that the the, the Spanish and the Portuguese, first of all, no one accuses them of anything really, mm. and they are. I mean, they had a letter from the Pope. I mean, Columbus, the second trip, he had a letter from the Pope saying more or less, and it's, it is written, I've seen itself in a copy. I don't read Latin, but the translation where it really says, if they don't bow down for, for the Bible and for God Almighty, you have the right to execute them or use them as slaves. That mm -hmm. is like a bulla from the, the Pope that they have, and they show the Native Americans and they don't understand anything. <laughs> they chop their heads off. And they succeeded to kill, as I said, I mean, we work with Matt, Matt, that is Native American. And he, you know, Native American doesn't want to talk to the white guys at all. But he says, you know, with tears sometimes in his eyes, we have, you know, oral history we never wrote it down that's not our tradition it goes from mouth to ear generation generation and we've been here for thousands and thousands of years from the beginning it was five thousand then they found a woman fourteen thousand now they found people that fit forty thousand so it's been inhabited for many many thousand years but he says no one before the spanish came over here threaten our tribes we had skirmishes in between tribes sometimes and skirmishes between you know people who came but most of all it was friendly trading and no one threatened to take a country until the, the spanish came here so it's very hard for them to tell us stories but he says for thousands and thousands of years, people sailed in the big lakes and they traded with the, you know, his tribe and other tribes. And he said, I can show you one day, but we have to have your trust and it's going to take a while. And the thing that we want, this country is built, like Freud said, America is a giant, giant country and a giant, giant mistake from humanity <laughs> because and I think Spain, I mean, and all the slavery and everything, it's, 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 it's an interesting country because it has all these different, it's so polarized different ways. And, but I think just to look back and be aware of the atrocities that happen here by, you know, people from Europe. And then Matt, the, our native American expert, he says, if you look at Europe from the year 1000 to the <laughs> up to now, it's just atrocities and killings. And we, we are friendly people over here. You know, the tribes, we didn't kill each other. And like, look at Europe. 
butchering each other all the time. For a thousand years, you've been butchering each other, still up to this day. So whether the Vikings were here, after it's confirmed now they, they were in Vinland for 300 years, some crazy guy said, let's take a ship and go inland because now it's summer, the sun is up, the tide is cool, you know, just go in and see if we can trade and find something. And what they did, and we've been with Native Americans in Maine, was very interesting at the Godar where they found the Maine penny, the penny from Norway, is that the Vikings were hanging out on an island. They put some items on a trading post and a trading place, and they waited. And if somebody took it and put something else there, they said, oh, let's... And they didn't have the language, so they started and they learned, you know, if they returned, they knew how to communicate one way or another, but it was through trade. And to come mm -hmm. back to Greenland or Iceland or up to Vinland with some exotic things from a Native American tribe, you became king. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were elevated in the social pyramid, yeah. of course. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just an interesting thing for me to, you know, to follow these crazy people that have been sailing out. I mean, from Africa to South America, there are traces, you know, deep down in Florida, too. There's like African blood. How come? African DNA. How come? How come they have Jewish rituals and Jewish DNA in their blood? Well, Somebody must have sailed from, from, from the Holy Land over, you know. It took yeah. a while, but why not? Well, I mean, there, there's, so there's been a lot of studies uh, nowadays, so lately, on, uh, on the interactions across the Pacific. And, uh, you know, it's been verified, for instance, that, you know, there have been uh, people from the Polynesian area, uh, area uh, making it all the way to South America and, um, you know, genetically interacting and also uh, materially in a sense of trading and so on, interacting with people there. Um, and, and so, you know, the Pacific Ocean is the largest ocean on the planet. And if, if they're capable of, uh, capable of doing that, it, it's, it's, it should not be a big surprise that people, uh, you know, on uh, from from north to south of the Atlantic Ocean would be able to to do the exact same thing in different yeah, ways. Yeah, of course, of course. yeah. Of course, yeah. Perfect. Let's 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 wrap this up. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank just... you, Dan, and thank you for the the horn. I'm gonna tomorrow's Super Bowl. I'm gonna pour some. Uh, some beer and i'm gonna oh, sit give and me a watch picture <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will. I will. give me a picture no it's yeah this i mean this is a fascinating topic just regardless of what people think it's just a fun topic to talk about it's interesting yeah. it's interesting who if you don't believe it's it's real or, you know authentic back to the to the 14th century but it's it's still interesting who carved it um and quickly i think we need to differentiate that saying that it's not um, original and saying that Olaf, oh, sorry, like saying that Olaf didn't carve it is not saying that it's authentic all the way back to the 14th century either. The two very different things. You know, you could you could say, I, I guess this is probably what Matthias thinks, that it's not original 
in a sense that he wasn't carved by Vikings in 13, whatever. But he probably also says that he doesn't think all after it. So therefore, there's this space in the middle where we can look at who did it. it you know, it doesn't have to be, I don't think all after it. So therefore, I think it's 100% real, which is what I think a lot of people go down. Let me, let me just clarify my position. I, I, yeah, do. I, <laughs> I don't actually have an opinion on how old it is. Because I think there's still so much up in the air. I think that's the most scholarly thing to actually do here, to say, well, I'm I'm open to see um, evidence for it being from the 1300s. Um, I am also open to hearing arguments for why it's not from the 1300s. But I think it's pretty safe to say, based off of the evidence that has been presented so far, that it was not all of Ehrman who carved it. I think that, I mean, if, there we if, go. if that, you know, yeah. geological uh, investigation of the, the, the roots on the back of that stone is correct, then it couldn't have been him. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important to keep in mind. No, he, he was running around helping his father at that time. And, and that's been also with the linguistic, you know, scholars. They, they do accept physicists and geologists testing on it. Mm-hmm. That the weathering, and it was done 1909 by the head archaeologist of Minnesota, together with two others from uh, two other states, and they scrutinized stone for a couple of months, and they wrote their, th- you know, it's exactly what Scott Walter and some other geologists have said. The weathering is at least 250, 300 years old. Mm-hmm. So. Who the hell did this 15 in the 16th century, mid 16th century? Is it, I mean, you know, it's and that's you know, in that sense, that that the language, um, uh, becomes more probable too, because then yeah. you see more, more of a consistent implementation of the short forms on the verbs and all that stuff, and also. Yeah. One thing that we forgot to to, to uh, talk about is this uh, uh the, the word that means um, journey of discovery, which has been pointed out by uh, linguists that um, that couldn't have been from the 1300s because it didn't exist in in the Scandinavian languages uh, until the 1500s, if, if I remember correctly. Um, so, so that's that's a if it is, if that uh, that word was in use in the 1500s, then it's more possible too. Yes, that, that the language fits. And the guy was good in runes, but numbers. <laughs> he was <laughs> he's supposed to be a five all off. <laughs> stain, 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 stain. Sven. Sven. <laughs> it's supposed to be a five. Oh, this is a five. No, that's a three. Well, I can't redo it now, you know. Do you have white tap? No. <laughs> I like that explanation. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, I get yeah. numbers wrong all the time. I'm I'm great yeah. with language, but but horrible yeah. with math. <laughs> same here. Same here. I think it runs with the male population. <laughs> I'm I'm still stuck in 2020 before all this mess happened. <laughs> I'm st- I still think I'm way back then. Um, but yeah, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you for taking the yeah, time to talk to us. Let, uh, let's do it again. Fun. Let's do Absolutely. it again. That would be great. More. 
Yeah. 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 We, 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 there's so much more we could have spoke about. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let, let's definitely do it again. It's been a lot of fun. Um, yeah. yeah great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Peter, do you want to shout out the name of the show um, where people can find it? So, so if anyone hasn't seen it already, they can, uh, they can watch it. Yeah. Send, send me, send me a link, do it on, on the Instagram. I'm very bad at my Instagram, but I check you though. Yeah, I, well, I know. Um, and Matthias, if we do a third season, you're invited then when you're on this side of. Are you residing fully? Yes, yes. I mean, I'm in Colorado. You just give me a shout and uh, I'll be happy to join you. Matthias, what you meant to say is we're a team and we do everything yeah. together. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, well, so one, one, one in both. <laughs> yeah, but then you have to fly. You can't fly business then. You have to fly oh, coach. I'll pay for my own <laughs> ticket. To yeah, yeah. I don't mind. Uh, deal. <laughs> you know, deal. There we go. I, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. Perfect. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. So, so Secrets of uh, the Viking Stone, go and watch it. It's, it's a lot of fun, regardless of what you think about the stone. It's, it's an interesting journey, and you dig up a lot of interesting questions that I think uh, you're doing wonderful things, and hopefully you're going to get some answers as soon as you can get back out there. Um, Peter, thank you very, very much. Yeah, thank, thank you so you, much. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Matthias. Awesome. Awesome. There we go. Thank you. Thank bye. you. Bye. Thank you, Peter. Take care. Have a good day. You betcha.